Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We got uh, this here outro. Uh, Jacob, what did you think of the episode? Dang, it was great. <laughs> of course, Andrew asked me just after I told him. Just five seconds ago, he's like, don't come at me with that. Jacob, what did you think of the episode? And it's an easy little boy to pawn off the conversation, bro. Yeah, no, um, no, it, it was awesome. You and me, after we recorded the episode with Chuck, <laughs> we were sitting there and we're like, dude, that's a banger. Oh, yeah. It felt good, man. It, felt it just gr- felt good. And there's so much more. I cannot wait to have him back on in a couple of weeks. Uh, we didn't even talk about a lot of the other terrain features that he hunts. And that's where we're, uh, we're going you know, to get there. Now, listen, listeners, you know, we kind of left him hanging on some of that stuff. That also, the, his idea of throwaway areas and the whole nine yards, because uh, he said there's a lot more terrain features that we missed that we never discussed Yeah, that are huge factors for him. And also, we never even talked about how he scouts. Because mm-hmm. he's a big time summer scouter. Like he yep. loves. I mean, he loves scouting postseason, but really scouts a lot uh, during the summertime. Like right now, I mean, he's he's putting some miles on his on you know on his boots, burning the boot leather. 
running trail cameras and has a whole strategy with that too so there's a lot there to talk with chuck so you're gonna definitely y'all gonna hear about hear from chuck and we already got a lot of great feedback on it too mm. so absolutely i yes. think we decided we were doing the second episode before we got the great feedback though oh no we, we just liked him so much no no it was like we're, we're getting to the conversation with like an hour 20 in or something or something like that and i'm like we either we're gonna or keep going long on it or we slow down mm-hmm. cut it short yeah we were writing like notes like <laughs> we're like what do we do but yeah we're like yeah we got to just get him on another time because we're like let's record the whole thing tonight I'm like nah we'll say fresh if, you know if mm-hmm. we you know come at it fresh again uh after i had some time to consider stuff but getting to the episode so chuck you know, kind of the name of the episode being, you know, uh, you know, targeting, you know, compounding topographical features for, you know, finding mature bucks is a huge point of like what he focuses on when he's looking at, you know, not only at maps when he's out there scouting. And there was just so many things that he talked about that I just found fascinating. And one which we can just touch on early in this conversation is the idea of he doesn't really care about hunting the bedding side of the mountains. You know, mm-hmm. the Washington Mountains where he hunts, a lot of these main ridges off the mountain are running east and west. And so you're hunting either the south side or the north side of the ridge. And he is talking about, specifically in the episode, that, hey, on the north side of the ridge is where majority of the quality mass crops are going to be at. That's where those deer are spending a ton of their time at night uh, feeding. And I'm going to catch them coming up to bed on the south side, but I'm going to you know, be over that north side lip. Which I found interesting because, again, I think you and me are in an early conversation about why would you not just sit on the south side? Yeah. Because that's where they're going to spend the most time. That's where the thick cover's at. That's where it's mm-hmm. more brushy. And he just has, has learned based off, you know, again, putting a lot of boot leather on the ground and a lot of experience that, hey, I can catch these bucks and just deer in general easing back up the mountain as they go over the top and have a better opportunity over there with some kind of height advantage. I think that's one one thing that plays a factor, too. He's using that height advantage of already being up high yeah. before the deer ever get there, and he's watching them come up to him, as, and he, that's a huge advantage. Well, that, too, and and also he made it sound like that when they're popping up over that ridge, they've got that thermal switch to their advantage. So uh, by the time, if he were to sit on that south side, by the time the deer are getting to him, those thermals are going right up to him. Absolutely. Uh, it's kind of funny because we did that episode talked about this and I also had done the episode with Bo Martonic from East Meets West podcast and that just came out this week too. Like in different On Bo's feed. Yeah, I'm Bo, yeah, I'm Bo's feed. And um, it, we talked a lot about that that thermal switch and I kind of wish, we, I, I did that recording after doing this episode, but I kind of wish we I would have brought this example because mm-hmm. he makes a great point with that. Like if the bucks aren't coming up and over the ridge until way after thermal switch, well, there's no way to hunt that south side without getting busted. Yep. You know, very easily. I mean, maybe you can get cross, you know, cross trail, cross wind to them, like just off to the left or right to the east or west a little bit. Um, but still, like, it would be so tough. So it does make more sense. Like, hey, go over to that north side. And uh, and also being at that top third, you're going to have rising thermals a lot quicker up there than yep. you may would have, you know, if you went farther down that mountain because we talked a lot about that on the episode too. Um, so that is super interesting. But – one thing that I really thought that was fascinating, Andrew, I'm going to turn it back over to you in a second, mm-hmm. is the idea of he's like, when he's setting up, he wants to set up above a secondary ridge point or some kind of feature that like the deer aren't necessarily going to be walking on top of. They're going to be walking around for those falling thermals. And you and me talked a little bit about this and you kind of just went out and got on the lake and was looking at you know, uh, some of these yeah. points. So that's how I'm kind of wrapping this into it. Because he's saying a lot of these deer are using these drainages as how they're actually traveling up 
in elevation. You know, he's talking specifically that like these bucks are using these drainages that to come up in elevation. And the more he talked about it, the more and more in my mind, I'm like, this makes so much more sense that a deer is not going to be coming up on the point of a secondary ridge point. He's going to be side hilling up, kind of paralleling that secondary ridge point and that drainage. Yep. And every now and then he might walk right up that drainage if it's, you know, feasible for him. And I'm like, that makes one more sense for travel patterns and why you don't want to necessarily sit right over that drainage if yep. that's the drain if it's one of those drainages that they're gonna be traveling up mm-hmm. in elevation. Which makes me think I'm just I'm kinda of rambling here. Kinda of feel like a yeah, anyways, just rambling. <laughs> that if so many you hear so many guys wanting to step at the head of one of those drainages. Because they want to catch that lateral movement going again horizontal movement all, all skipping on up ridge. over the tip of that drainage yeah where they're kind of like cutting they're cutting across that tip of that drainage uh when those bucks are crude especially during a rut but now it makes me think like if you do that are you potentially cutting off that whole drainage as a path of travel because you're wanting your thermals to drop down that drainage um or you know whatever i don't know it's it's super interesting now kind of thinking about that yeah when it comes to like travel and to bring up the example that you were kind of just mentioning um when I was fishing the other day, I was out on this lake, and if anybody's ever uh, gone out and fished like a highland kind of lake that has steep hills, it's just kind of a steeper lake. It's not like flat or anything. It's got a lot of steep drop-offs, deep lake. Uh, you've probably seen something like this. So you have your hills that are dropping down in the lake, and that's where you got your points, and then you got your sloughs and creeks and everything coming up. Well, I'm going around this lake, and it's like early in the morning. It's like... 10 15 minutes after daylight and the lake is just glass calm i mean just we're the only people on it it's a smaller lake um nobody else is out there it's just me and jt and our kayaks and uh, there's like bugs on the surface and just super calm and we start going and there's all these little sloughs that are coming down into the like all these little creek drainages come down and most of them just don't really have anything going on but we get to the like one of the main creek bottoms okay and I'll, I'll get to more about like what this creek bottom goes to in a second. But we get to one of these main larger creek bottoms and there's all these ripples coming out of it. And you turn the corner to where you're like in the mouth of that creek where it empties out into the lake and just like this breeze hits you. I mean, just like like lukewarm, like kind of cool air, just like whoosh, like washes over you. And it's like, it's strong. And I'm in that, I'm in the, that Hobie kayak. So it's a heavy kayak and I'm in it. And I mean, this is like pushing me, like it, the thermals are so strong, it's pushing me hard. And you would think that it's just wind, but it was a no wind day. Uh, and it was only in that one spot on that bigger creek drainage. And what I noticed, and there's also fog rolling down out of the valley. And that fog dude was just ripping right across the top of the water. And if you're on our uh, Instagram, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook and you saw the story from the other day, you saw me post this where I, I pointed it out and everything on the video and on the video, you can see, you know, all the ripples and everything coming down where those thermals are pushing, fogs rolling out. And then I turn around the ridge point to where, you know, around the edge of that ridge point away from the creek bottom. And it's just glass right there again. It's just super calm. And uh, all those thermals are just funneling down into that creek bottom and pushing out really hard right there. And uh, the thermals are, are probably still falling down those ridge points and other small creek drainages but not nearly as fast. And you have like kind of a, a steep hill right there. And above this creek drainage, when you look at it on a topo map, it's also 
a great big thermal hub up there, huge thermal hub. So there's just like a ton of land up there that shaded on up into the morning that all that air, you got to think about how big of, it's like an hourglass pretty much. And that's why it was pushing so hard right there. You have this big wide thermal hub and it all necks down to this one major creek that, and that comes down to the lake and all that air is falling down out of that thermal hub off all those ridge points and getting funneled through that one point. And by the time it hits that, there's that choke point and it's just like funneling through there and picking up some steam. And so that was just, that was cool because it was a really good visual explanation of uh, what the thermals are actually doing, but also it's kind of eye-opening of just like how how uh, hard those thermals were ripping. But then you look at the ridge points and there's just nothing coming off of those ridge points like at all. And so it kind of made me go back to like Tom Brownlee and guys like that who talk about, you know, if all things considered, your scent molecules will like roll downhill basically at a certain rate and they'll stop. And uh, kind of made me think about what we were talking about with Chuck. If you're on one of these ridge points where you're not far enough off the edge of the hill where your thermals are getting like sucked down into that, that uh, I don't know, high flow area for thermals, you know, your, your scent might just kind of be sitting up there with you, especially if you're hunting off the ground like Chuck does. Uh, it might not be going very far. You know, maybe, I mean, less than 50 yards probably and staying low to the ground. So anyways, that was, uh, that was super neat. I might repost it when we drop this. No, we're going we're gonna to repost it as a, as a reel this time so it stays up. Yeah. Um, so you'll be able to see that on Facebook and I'll make sure we post on Instagram or you'll be able to see it on Instagram. Well, I'll make sure we'll share it as well on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you're talking about like being on the ground, you know, and maybe that's a, as an advantage for like getting, keeping your scent there. Mm-hmm. One person who we've talked to before, not on the podcast specifically, but just talked a, a bunch about different episodes and different topics. That's a big ground hunter and a big proponent of understanding like scent and how like hunting the ground is like, a huge advantage versus being in the tree stand is Michael Yates. Oh yeah, and Michael, uh, who he's he was on. I'm trying to think what podcast was he on. We're probably we're probably gonna, and I'm sure Michael will probably listen to this episode. He listens to a lot of the episodes. We'll probably try. We're gonna try to get Michael on sometime this year and try to figure out conversation to have. But he has a very high knowledge of understanding thermal and wind. He's part of the Pressure Deer uh, Pressure Deer Pro team. Uh, Same place, Bill Vale. Bill Vale absolutely mm-hmm. works with Bill Vale, uh, who we had uh, his episode was. Bill Vale, uh, the wind rule, which actually, Andrew, yep. can you look that up? Because we, yep. need, we need to plug that episode uh, number in this episode so listeners can go and listen to that. Um, but Michael talks a ton about like that advantage of like, hey, if you're hunting on the ground, like those falling thermals are going to be less affected. You're going to have that, it's going to be less affected, uh, or you're going to be less affected by sitting on the ground versus if you're in a tree stand and how far those falling thermals will kind of cast that scent. Because uh, when you're elevated, it just makes it so much easier for it to cast. Just yep. you know, compared to if you were on the ground. Episode two eighty two. Two eighty two. What was the name of the episode? The Wind Rule with Bill Vale. Two eighty two. As a must listen to episode, guys. If you're wanting a extremely deep dive on wind and thermals, uh, especially like listen to that uh, East meets West episode. This is that that is, that we just did. Uh, yep. I just did with Bo. This is like that's like take it to the next level. It was like what we did was like entry level, and that's like next level kind of you know mm-hmm. thermals. So yeah, and that one you did with Bo is fantastic. If you're if you're intrigued by this whole thermal thing that we're talking about right now, I yeah. definitely recommend. Yeah, going I, was gonna to text, I was gonna text. I was gonna text Bo. I was like, I was gonna text Bo. I was like, I kind of wish we 
we post on our podcast. <laughs> it, it, it was really it's, good. It's good. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really good. It's getting good feedback so I far. I was listening to it today. Um, but yeah, so definitely there's got to be an advantage, you know, sitting on the ground and dealing with the thermals, both rising in and falling thermals. So there's, also, too, by the way, mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to looking at things bigger picture, uh, when I first initially, this is a spot I can hunt, and uh, when I initially got looking at this spot, I noticed that thermal hub, but I noticed some saddles up above that thermal hub that led down into it. And so you got a lot of compounding features right here. It looks like an awesome spot. Me and you were checking it mm-hmm. out on the map the other day. For a rut spot, it looks really good. What you might not think about, though, is if you go in there for a morning hunt, and you're going to hunt, like let's say, like the top end of that thermal hub, like if you're bow hunting, and you're going to try to hunt one of those saddles, and your thermals aren't going to switch and start rising until 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, the rest of that time, my scent is drifting down into that thermal hub. you got to think about it's drifting down into that thermal hub and filling it up and then flowing out all the way down to that lake to where I was, a couple hundred yards. So if you're up there, you're blowing out literally that entire thermal hub and the drainage that comes out, like all of that. You're just like pouring your scent down that thing, which might not be a big deal if you have a deer that comes through the right spot of that hub. But again, just thinking bigger picture of like, how to hunt that spot it might not be the best thing to do well not to get back to the episode i did with bo but we talked about that because he asked me like how can you like do you hunt thermal hubs or have success there i told him personally no not where we're at because mm-hmm. they're so hard to hunt before that reason like if you hunt in the morning you have a short window of time you can hunt down in the hub like down in it like like the bottom like the it. bottom of it and you can hunt until the wind switches and then you gotta either leave or go up the hill and, and reposition yeah um or you just understand that you're blowing out you know 45 degree pie like a quarter of the of the area that you're gonna be sitting in yep uh talking light and variable wind conditions um or you have to wait and hunt you have to get in there later and you gotta hunt higher or you have to get off the edge of the hub which is why i told them like you just get off the edge like in that situation that the the big point that dropped down to the lake to the east mm-hmm. gets somewhere up on the side of that that point where like you're just at the corner of that hub so when your thermals drop down it's kind of dropping down right to the edge of the lake yep um or the edge of that that big creek which is really the lake um but also potentially having a visual for anything that drops down into the hub off that main ridge you'll be able to hopefully see or hear them yeah exactly uh, and that's kind of like what i told them was like you're almost using it more as like an observation but like i don't look at those hubs specifically where we're at as something that you necessarily can hunt just because like that thermal switch is so kind of iffy but also a lot of these hubs, like that's a big, that was a big hub that you found. Yeah. Most of the hubs that like some of these other places that we hunt are really tight. That's what I was telling Like they're really tight. Like Mm -hmm. if any wind at all picks up, you are screwed. Like it is swirling in there and like you're not, you're probably not going to see anything. So that's another huge factor versus if you're like in big wood situation up on the side of a mountain, uh, east facing slope. So you're going to have rising thermals much quicker and you know, a bigger hub too. Like you can kind of, you know, use that more to your advantage than you can in really tight tight hubs or tight bowls well and another thing too and you did a good job of mentioning this with Bo, is just the the way that the terrain lays out is going to have such a huge effect on how you can hunt that so this hub that we're talking about right here i mean you don't know until you get in there but you know if the hill is positioned correctly and i've got a steep enough hill on on my east side mm-hmm. it's kind of shading that whole valley you know you could maybe get away with hunting it on up into the morning a good bit 
you know, in some case, in like extreme cases, like almost like all the way to noon sometimes. Um, but if that one side of the hub, if the western side of that hub heats up early enough in the morning, it might start swirling and getting kind of weird pretty early because then you, you get in like a weird situation where like one side of the hub is like getting warmed and then the other side is like really cool and shaded and you get some like really strange wind dynamics when that happens so you don't really know until you actually hunt it but that for me that'd be like a spot go in with a rifle early morning and you're just sitting till like eight nine o'clock and you're just seeing if one can come slipping through the bottom of that hub because also from a buck standpoint it really works out great because if you come cruising through there in the morning you're getting like a huge area above you that Mm -hmm. you can just cut through there and smell all of it yeah he can yeah absolutely and i'll be be honest i wouldn't have any issue bow hunting it either but you're bow hunting it especially during leaf on conditions which we talked about in the episode as well Mm -hmm. thermals based with leaf on versus leaf off and how quickly the the, that thermal generation happens but in leaf on conditions like early bow season all the way up to like no which i mean that's still not pre-growth there uh in that area but if you were in an area, say, let me ask, let me say, if you took that same spot and we were in Missouri, where they have a November rut, okay? Mm-hmm. Say in that, that example, if you're in October, like mid-October, and bucks are laying down scrapes, and there's still leaf on, like you still leaf on condition, mm. I would have no issue at all going into a spot like that and yeah. sitting, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hunt here until probably 10 o'clock. Yep. And probably right then is when thermal is going to switch. And then I'm going to back out of here and just, you know, I'm going to move to a different location. Yeah. But there's probably going to be bucks using that area early morning all the way up until probably mid morning. And then they're probably going to, you know, go to a little higher elevation. Mm-hmm. But I think it would still be worth bow hunting, you know, a spot like that specifically. Yeah. But yeah, especially if you can hunt it in a place where leaf on. But they're early like January rut, no leaves on the trees. I don't know. That makes it hard yeah, it, for it, bow hunting. Yeah, for sure. That's why I'd gun hunt it. Yeah. Kind of hang back and watch it. And there's probably, I don't know, I want to go in there and look. Next time I go in there and fish, I'll probably bring my boots and just throw them in the kayak. Mm-hmm. And, like, just, I mean, you don't have to walk up, but, like, 150 yards mm-hmm. to really look at it. And I'm, I'm betting there's going to be a nice scrape in there somewhere. For sure. For sure. Big licking branches. Now, getting back to this episode, though, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Chuck. We yeah. get back on topic here. Tangents. 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 Which are good for podcasts as long as they're on topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, no, to get back on topic. You know, the whole compounding features is, is something that's super interesting. And, and a, a statement, now this is a paraphrase, this isn't a quote because I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But early in the podcast, I think it might have been 10, 15 minutes into the podcast, there was like an aha moment for us where we looked at each other like, all <laughs> oh, this, this is when we knew it was going to get good. Oh, yeah. And Chuck makes, makes a statement, and this is a paraphrase, but mm-hmm. roughly is like, I was asking him the question, when did it click for you that you started having success in the mountains? And he said, he started. Like he read the, that book, uh, uh, Hunting Trophy Whitetails or whatever, and that kind of helped, but it didn't tell him like everything he needed to know about the mountains. He started asking people that were more successful up there. And the commonality, in fact, that he learned from all these guys is that they were hunting high elevation mm-hmm. and they were hunting compounding terrain features or terrain features, topographical features. Yeah. And he said, once I started doing that, it was like a light switch and like instantly became more successful and, uh, uh, what was more successful, but also like more consistent success. Yep. Uh, was when he started doing that. So like hunting high and hunting those topographical features. And I was like, that is super interesting. He's like that one thing was the light switch for like when you, when you started doing that, it was like night and day difference. Oh yeah. And I'm like, there's a lot there because I look at it, 
you got to kind of take away from like where we're at here, like hunting hill country for the most part. But it, it did make you think of like some of these more mountain areas that we've been looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, how that maybe would relate to something like that. Like again, hunting high and hunting those higher terrain features instead of hunting down low. I got a spot in mind that I think it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. Well, and this is what I love about doing a podcast too is it's a spot that when I very first looked at the area, I looked at it and I was like, wow, that looks awesome. And then we talked to some people and based on what they said, I'm like, okay, I don't know about it anymore. I don't think it'll be that good. And then talking to him, now I'm back to, okay, this looks really good. (laughs) You know, like you kind of go back and forth, but it just goes to show that, I mean, different, you know, different things work for different people in different areas. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm not going to know until I actually go in there. And, uh, I really, really, really want to go in there this summer sometime just to get a bearing for the place. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when I've when i got a rifle in my hand in, like, December, it's not the first time I ever see the place. Like, I at least have some idea of what I'm kind of getting into. At least I need to know, like, what I need to bring, like, am I hunting off the ground? Am I bringing a saddle? Um, and get an idea of what the cover looks like. But um, anyways, dude, uh, yeah, I'm fired up about that. I'm fired up about that spot. Really excited. Well, it's it's just again interesting, like how he's able to put this together and started having success. Um, also, something that's interesting interesting for where he hunts at, you know, majority of all access points are always going to be from downhill mm-hmm. going up in elevation. Like it's not going to be very similar to like what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's very off, not very often, if ever, he can come in from the top, which is interesting because like where I was in. The, Ozark National Forest, it was like more like you're coming from the top on like, it seemed like 90% of the stuff, unless you went off the top, went down a creek, like dropped down 800 feet of elevation to almost 1,000 feet of elevation, and then go back up the other side. Then, okay, yeah, then you're coming from coming from the bottom. That ain't, that ain't no joke. Yeah, that's not no joke. When That'll st- put hair on your peaches. When you're standing there, it's the same kind of feeling, you know that spot where we were shouting? Oh, yeah. And like for Shane, like, like, oh my God, like I can see. Like, like we got to go down and back up to get it. That there. ridge is like 600 feet down. And I'm like, oh my God. But I'm like, that's exactly what it looked like in Arkansas, but like bigger, way bigger scale. But it's like you're standing there <laughs> and you're just looking at this ridge that's like, you know, half a mile across from you. And you got to go straight down through this creek. Straight up. And it's straight up. And you're like, oh, this is good. I mean, yeah, like eight hundreds of thousand feet down and then eight hundred thousand feet back up the other side or roughly depending on where, mm. where you want to hunt yeah but more listen mm, you might chuck he said a couple things that i was like there's a there's one spot specifically that he just that he was talking about like this bench of a bench like bench over a bench mm-hmm. it was like train feature. there's a spot like that i found that's you'd have to come off the top drop down eight hundred thousand feet of elevation and go up the other side in arkansas in arkansas yeah it's in arkansas and yeah, definitely not around here. <laughs> no, nothing like that around here. And uh, but it's like it's like a huge. It's really like a big flat that's like halfway up the side of the mountain, and then above that big flat. And I want me it's a it's like a big. It's a, you can almost it's not a bench. It's not like a narrow bench. It's like a big flat, but it's weird like how it's positioned. And you can tell it's got a bunch of oaks on there based on the aerial imagery. Yep. And it's got like bluffs on like one side of it. And then up above that, like another hundred feet, is a big bench that comes around, mm-hmm. and it's got like a big drainage that like, cuts up both sides of like that big flat up to that up to that uh, that. Um, you can do the it. bench. <laughs> Actually, now, now I thought about this. Hold on, this wouldn't work. Not like how he's talking about because again, he's talking about coming over the top, dropping down. Mm-hmm. So he's like he's going up over the top and then drop back down the other side. Yeah, this would be like the inverted. This would be like starting at the top, dropping down, and then coming up to it. 
So I don't just know. blowing out all the deer on the way there. Probably because they're going to be terrible. Oh, <laughs> dang, I didn't think about that. Dang. Dude, you got to figure it out. I can't come in from the other side because the other side's private. No, you go ask them if you I can could, I might. Place. I might. I hope maybe. You've had great luck with that. I have had great luck. Maybe it'll be another old lady who you'll come back through her property and she'll have cookies waiting for dude, you. Dude, listen, I, I almost want to talk about that again. <laughs> I, I, dude, I had a woman. Old Onyx helped me out, bro. I, you know, if people leave that, that should have gone in the Onyx ad read. Oh, man. Like, I found this old lady. She not only let me access through her property, but she made me cookies dude, every man, time I hunted. Every time I hunted there, bro. I'd come, she'd see my car there because I wasn't driving the truck at the time. She'd see my car there parked in her front yard or parked, you know, next to her driveway. And then oh, I'd come home. Or I'd come, I'd say, come home. <laughs> come home to grandma's house. <laughs> I come, Man, I, you bonded with her. Dude, I, come, I come out the woods, dude, and she'd have cookies waiting on me. I mean, she'd like, she'd wait on me literally on the Man, front porch. God bless people like, dude, that. like when I went in there one, like one afternoon and like, uh, it, was actually, it was after a morning hunt early. She said, I went in there and hung out with her for like an hour. She like cooked the lunch and everything. We're just hanging out. Talking about life. Talking about life. Talking she about get, how, She imparted any wisdom on you? I can't, I don't remember any of that, but I did, I did, I was kind of sitting there because one reason I was like, like hanging her out a little bit. I'm like, I wanted to like see if she let me turkey hunt on her property. Cause she, she had like, t- she had like maybe five acres right there. But dude, every time I'd go, especially like, like late winter into the springtime, there was a ton of turkeys there. Mm-hmm. And she'd always talk about it, like, they had always like, she had like a garden or something. They always like mess with the garden. I'm like, I can help with that. Yeah, you you want put me to put a head out on them? Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, uh, sign, sign, yeah, sign this permission slip. Let me, let me know. That's great. But uh, anyways, but yeah, no, she'd always make cookies for me. Oh, you just love that. It was a great. God, it, that's fantastic. Yep, yep. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> where was I? Go- oh, but anyways, so you're talking yeah. about how your spot would be great, and then you realized it wouldn't be great. Yeah, I, I would have to. Yeah, I'd have to. Actually, no. Take that back. It would be pretty good because because it, it's a it's a west facing slope. Okay. So it's gonna have falling thermals for a long period of time before they start rising. Okay, but aren't you still walking through the deer theoretically? Potentially. Well then. But but listen. Mm-hmm. Potentially. But it's also this kind of, okay, it's like, you got to do what you got to do. And kind of like we talked about on the podcast, like, if you're going to have to cross the deer, it's better to do it in a very straight line, as in, like, going yeah. straight down and straight up versus side hill or any of that crap where you're casting more scent 500 yards to 1,000 yeah. yards east or west because you're side hilling for it. So, like, theoretically, you're like, yeah, you're going to be walking through potential with deer. What? But if I can go straight down, which I can, and I know the path, it's got, I can imagine, I already know what it looks like. It's so bad. Oh man, I gotta lose some more weight. It's rough. It's dude, it's it's rough. listen, if I kill something in there to get it out. Bro, you're gonna go up in there and shoot a sixty five pound doe. No way in no way in hell, dude. No, it, it's gonna be a really good buck. It's gonna be a, a really nice bear, but oh my gosh, dude, getting it out is gonna be like I can I I I'll start gagging throwing up right now, just knowing how bad it's gonna feel. No matter what kind of shape you're in. I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. But that is a good point though about straight down and straight up because you know, if you think of like a valley and you, you're starting on one side of the valley and go to the other side, it's better to just go straight across than to like side hill around and go around the tip of the drainage. Because if you do that, I mean, it's almost like if you if you were to get like a paintbrush or something and uh, get like a ton of paint on it and just rub it across the wall and it starts just running down the wall. That's what you're doing when you do that. That was a primo analogy. That, I, I was wondering if that's where you're going to go with it. Superb, sir. <laughs> that's what you're doing. That's that's what that scent is doing. Like it's like a ribbon coming off of you, like flowing down the valley. And so the the more that you side hill, and you talked about this on Bo's podcast, mm-hmm. the more that you side hill, the more that you're just blowing stuff out. 
And, and it goes back to kind of like we were talking about with that thermal hub, being mindful of where your scent is going. You know, if that's a spot that you want to hunt a whole bunch, maybe not the best thing to do to like blow out this high traffic area mm. for five hours. Absolutely. There's probably be a bunch of deer come through there like, okay, yep, there's a dude in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, um, also something else about that spot that could work out. And again, talking like a little bit, kind of like what Chuck's talking about is I could actually get farther down the ridge I'd be dropping off of, uh, specifically talking about a morning hunt here, mm-hmm. get like an extra 500 yards instead of like that straight line, okay? Yeah. But getting over another like say 500 yards or so and dropping straight off the ridge. So I'm like 500 yards down the creek because it's a big creek yep. from where this land feature is. Mm-hmm. Then once I hit the creek, then run the creek up. Okay. So it kind of keeps it clean. Well, what I mean clean is because there's a lot of deer. So I'm like the, the topographical feature I had to drop off of. There's mm-hmm. another big flat right there too that probably has got some deer like hanging out and around it. And it kind of leaves that clean but lets me get up kind of in between those two features without having to blow that whole side out too. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I don't know. So Just if like, you're going to have to go... Like, if you're traveling east to west, if you have to make a north-south movement, do it while you're in the very, very bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, like, in the morning like that, for sure. Yeah, because then your your thermals are going to get sucked down out of mm-hmm. there. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. And it's a big creek. I mean, it's a big creek down there, too. Yeah. So it's like, it's going to be like just sucking it straight down. Yeah. And I heard you talking on Bo's podcast about uh, that spot that me and you scouted and, and the place mm. that we're talking about hunting this mm-hmm. fall. Same thing. Nice, big freaking uh, creek coming out. A lot of country above it. And this goes into, uh, I guess it was Shane and Paul were talking about uh, hub when we were talking about buck hubs and stuff. You're looking for an area with just a lot of country above it where there's going to be a lot of land for air to flow off of into certain spots. And that's where Mm -hmm. those hubs are. Well, this isn't a hub, but it's kind of like that where there's like just so much land above this. Those thermals are going to be just screaming down that thing in the morning. Well, also, he's got the mountain lorry down there. No, dude, uh, it's like a tunnel. Well, it's, so I told him about that mountain lorry, and he's like, he's like, dude, I'm, I think he says in the episode, he's like, I've never seen a mountain lorry, like what you're describing, like that tall. He's like, I've seen rhododendron like that. It's like a cave. I mean, it's literally like, you feel like you're at like botanical gardens or something. Like, you feel you like. You do. You feel, yeah. you feel like you're like not in <laughs> Alabama, okay? Like, you, or like, yeah. it, it, it feels weird when you're in it. But it's like this giant mountain laurel with like the cold air down in there. I mean, it was easily. And what fits. time were we in there? It was after lunch. We'd already stopped and ate lunch. Is that no? No, it wasn't. It wasn't that late. Well, no. I know. It, I, it was I know. Pro- I'd eaten my biscuit. Yeah, that wasn't. Your, I think it was like ten o'clock, ten thirty. Oh, I yeah. mean, sun sun was up. I mean, sun, okay, yeah, you're. It was right. like ten, ten thirty, something like that. Sun was up, but like, yeah, we get down in there. I mean, it was at 
legit probably 15 degree temperature. Yep. And it was like, you just feel the air just running down mm-hmm. that creek in that mountain laurel. And uh, above it, though, you could feel the rising thermal. Like, I could sit up above, like, right before you get into the mountain laurel. That's what I was kind of telling, like, that thermal switch. Or, yeah. the, not switch, the thermal split. Like, if you're just above that mountain laurel, the thermal's rising. If you get in the mountain laurel, mountain laurel the thermal's dropping. Yep. It's like, it's like, it splits right there at the edge. Yep. Because of how dense that laurel was and, and the moisture content and everything. Um, and, yeah, it's just... It's awesome for like access, and there wasn't any deer sign down in that, Mm-mm. so it would be like perfect for like cruising, like coming up that creek all the way to that spot, and then you know going straight at the ridge. Yeah, um, might as well have an underground tunnel that leads up there. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, but now getting back to Chuck's episode, also you know a couple other things that he kind of has had touched on that I just thought was like super interesting is, you know how he sets up on the ground specifically where he's like trying to get in these really steep faces and sitting behind like uphill of a big tree. Yeah. He kind of like tucking himself in there where like, and he's doing it where that he has like one of those big draws directly down in front of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically like in one of these spots because he's what he's, or like, you know, having that bench there because what he's imagining is that deer is going to be coming from, it's going to be movement lateral, somewhat lateral movement left or right in front of him. And he's going to be able to see that deer off to his left or right hand side and then be able to position himself around that tree to be able to get a shot. Yep. Whether he's using, uh, you know, he hunts on the ground with a crossbow and muzzle and a rifle so he can kind of like pivot around if he needs to. Um, and I was like, I thought that was really smart too and not sitting in front of one of those trees where you're more exposed but sitting behind that tree and kind of using it, you know, to your advantage. I'm like, that's, again, super smart. I really like that, too. Like, yeah. I, I hadn't really necessarily thought about that specifically. I was like, I'll just sit on the front side of it. But then you're, like, so much exposed. Like, I'm going to put a big tree in between you mm-hmm. and just kind of watch the edges. So Yeah, I've hunted like that some. I was talking to somebody today about uh, just gun hunting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because he was asking what he needed to get. Like, did, did he need to get, like, a some kind of tree stand or whatever? And I was like, man, like, for gun hunting... It'd be nice to have like a climber or something, but I've killed the vast majority of my gun deer on the ground in, in situations like that, which I like doing. Which you can do that as long as you're not in a cutover. Yeah, as long as you're not in a cutover. That's what I told him. I was like, see, it's all fun and games until you hit that thicket and you can't see into it and you get about 30 feet up that pine and then you can peek in there. That's when it's on. <laughs> that's my favorite. Oh, mm, that's yeah. my favorite. Mid-January, cold, mm. frosty morning. Mm. <laughs> <Son>. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they're just swinging the breeze. Oh, son. A little pine surfing, a little yeah, tree surfing. Yeah, tree surfing. Action, you yeah. know. Uh, it, it adds to the experience. Um, another thing about Chuck, he's he's sounds like he's kind of pushing himself to get into areas that other people aren't going to because one of the first things about this episode that was kind of like going off in my head was him talking about basically or like early season hunts, getting to the top of a ridge and just kind of hanging out until the thermal switch happens and then popping over. And like, I feel like to me a couple of years ago, I'd have been like, dude, you're just like, that sounds like you're wasting a tremendous amount of time <laughs> where you're just kind of like waiting for him because it's kind of, I guess, hammered into my head that they're going to be in bed by the time it gets daylight. So it's like, I don't understand how this tactic works. Uh, but the more he talked about it, the more it made sense where I think he's just hunting and areas that don't have as high pressure and those deer have multiple beds and they're kind of making their way to a certain area throughout the day um they're not they're not hitting up like these deer we saw the gps study they're not hitting up a 15 acre thicket and staying in there all day long yeah this is big wood setting 
you know, mm-hmm. majority big wood setting. And that is something that was very interesting because he's like, I don't normally see the deer until like, even if I get in early, he's like, I don't normally see the deer necessarily until it's eight, nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And cause he's like, they're working, they're slowly feeding their way up in elevation and then going over the other side where they're going to bed by, you know, mid morning or whatever. And I'm like, that is super, like, we don't see that here. I'm like, man, that sounds convenient. That sounds, I'm like, that's kind of my style of hunting, dude. Yeah, I that sounds lie. awesome. Like, this, that sounds pretty good. But, you know, it's, that is super different because again, hunting those big mountains, uh, you know, those big ridges and everything, again, it's different from what we're doing here. And he's just found that pattern like, hey, they are coming Feeding down the north side of the mountain, north side of the ridge, and they're slowly working their way back up, kind of feeding their way back up. And one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, talk about the pattern of movement, and like they're kind of getting, once they get up to the top of the ridge, the thermals are, have already switched. So when they go down to bed off that south side, you know, they're that sense, you know, they're catching all that scent and all that air from that ridge as it's going up the hill. Yep. But in the morning, as they're coming up on those drainages, easing up on those drainages, especially on the north side of the mountain, even down those drainages, it's probably still having a falling thermal. Even though he's up on top of the ridge and he probably has a rising thermal, Chuck does, yeah. those deer, because they're so far down, they probably still have a falling thermal all the way up until pretty much they get to Chuck. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, yeah. Well, so kind of explain that a it's little like bit. A th- it's, it's like the whole thermal switch thing. Which mm-hmm. I get. Y'all need to go listen to that episode we did with, I did with Bo. Just go <laughs> listen to East Meets West podcast. Uh, Bo will appreciate it. Uh, I'll appreciate it too because I just wanted to get some feedback from it. But um, we talked about the thermal switch. And it's like that thermal switch can happen at different parts of the the ridge. So, so at, 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 you know, at 500 feet, it's... It's doing one thing. At 700 feet, it's doing a different thing. Not, not, well, not necessarily just like that, but like an east-facing slope, or, or I'm sorry, a an east-to-west-facing ridge, south-facing slope, sun's rising from the east. Depending on how exactly, it, you know, is it dead set east-to-west or is it more canted where it's more like a, you know, a, uh, a northeast-to-southwest ridge or stuff like that or something in between? Uh-huh. The top of that ridge could get more sunlight and start having a, a, a rising thermal at the very top of the ridge, that first top third. Yeah. But then you get far enough down off that north side where it's like still far enough down the shade that like it's still having a falling thermal. And there's a split there. There's a spot where like you're having rising thermal. And if you go just below that spot, you have a falling thermal. And it's like that buck probably, the way Chuck's talking about it, he's probably still having a falling thermal all the way till he gets up to that top third before that thermal switches for him mm-hmm. on that ridge. And then it's like he's got that full advantage as he's coming up, the, you know, that final portion of the ridge. But by that time, you know, Chuck wants to shoot him, he, he's getting <laughs> shot. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just super, super interesting the more and more you kind of think about it and how maybe those thermals are playing more into what Chuck's doing and how that buck's moving from low elevation to high elevation with the falling thermal come up that range until that very top third and that thermal switches and it, you know it's again it's in chuck's advantage yeah yeah and that's a, that's super 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 intriguing to me because that's not something that that i'm going to be able to use on the regular places i hunt or the hunting club but the other place that we're talking about hunting i could definitely definitely see that working mm-hmm. just because uh, i just don't see there being much pressure in there so yeah and I mean, even even like we're probably not going to put put very much pressure on it because I, I think it's probably just going to be one concentrated time of year that we're going to hunt it. So also, I'll say this: um, another thing that was just kind of interesting factor was like this: how he doesn't really worry about having super thick cover that he's hunting in. 
And he's, he actually specifically says in the episode, I don't want to hunt that stuff because I want to be able to, you know, especially hunting on the ground, I want to be able to see, yep, see him coming. the deer coming. And that, to me, makes a lot of sense as well for ground hunter. Because the one thing about hunting on the ground that you don't have the advantage of hunting the tree stand, the thing in the tree stand is that deer pops out 25 yards. You have the elevation on them if you're elevated directly above that, you know, above that deer. So you can hopefully get some little bit of move. You can move a little bit more when you're elevated mm-hmm. and kind of get a, you know, position to be able to shoot. Versus if you're on the ground, that deer pops out 25 yards, you are screwed. If yeah. you weren't already ready. You better wait before he goes behind a tree or, or something. something. But if you can see 80, 90, 100 yards, then you can see that deer coming from a little bit of distance and you can slowly work your yep. way in position, uh, you know, for that. And this mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense as well. But it comes back to like, hey, Chuck says, he's like, I don't see a single person all season. And he hunts a lot. Yeah. He's like, I don't see a single person all season. Okay. Because <laughs> he's a, one thing he told me, and he didn't say this on the episode, but I had talked to him previously before we did the recording, like the day before. He said a lot of the hunting pressure is farther down low, lower elevation, because that's where a lot of signs at, a lot of the ruts, like rubs and scrapes and stuff are down low. That nighttime sign. Nighttime sign, and guys will hunt down low. Or as guys are coming and hunting down low, they're going to push the deer too many ways because he's like, I'm up there where like guys don't want to get to. Yep. He's like, the guys will like hunt lower in elevation. They don't want to go up those ridges or go up and over the top. And, uh, you know, works really well for him. So that's another factor. It's like, hey, he's hunting remote areas. He's hunting, you know, areas that aren't getting as pressured, especially in that, that location uh, and that elevation. So the deer act a little more natural. And like he said, yep. he's like, these open areas, he's like, it's open. But he's like, they'll still be a little ground cover. But it's like, I can still see for, you know, 150, 200 yards in some of these yep. spots. He's like, there might be a little bit of green buyer on the ground or a little bit of saplings, but it's like, it's not anything where you can't see through it. It just gives them a little more comfort as they're kind of flowing through an area to have just a little bit of kind of cover to kind of, you know, meander mm-hmm. through. Yep. It's just an area specific thing. It, it reminds me very much of like Arkansas, or like, well, he's in Arkansas, but, like, <laughs> but like where I was hunting in Arkansas, very, very similar. Like now it makes me like rethink because I was trying to hunt like the thickest, some of the thickest stuff up there. Yeah. Now I'll just, I'll just want to throw all that out, like throw mm-hmm. that completely out of the equation. Like it's not worried about like finding super thick cover and just uh, focus on some stuff like what he's talking about. It's just mm. terrain features. Mm. You think yeah. you're far enough out from people to, to oh, dude, there's no people sign out there. Okay. And like Thomas was like, I was actually kind of worried because, you know, we're going to muzzle out my two. There's going to be a lot of guys hunting. Nah. After talking to more locals, not Man. many not many guys are like really, like supposedly like during rifle season, there's more guys that get out there. But mm-hmm. during that muzzleloader opener, even bow season, there is nobody. Isn't that just the best? When, you, when you're like expecting it's just going to be crazy. There's going to be people everywhere and you get there and there's just not. And you're just like, oh, this is awesome. I got it all to myself. Yeah, that's happened to me quite a few times over the last few years. Certain, <laughs> certain areas of hunting, I'm like, dude, it's gonna be crazy. I want to me and Mike. We, t- we tend to over prepare for for that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that is true. We always over prepare that like the pressure is gonna be much higher and crazier than what it's actually. There's been be. two times that I did not over prepare when I thought I over prepared. Two times. Two I times. I know, one was last year. Last year and the quota hunt in Georgia. Oh yeah, yeah. Insanity. 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 Bullets flying everywhere. <laughs> It was like nom. <laughs> it was bad, man. Oh God, it was bad. But you know, but again, just what he what he was talking about, like that remoteness, reminds me very similar to like where I was hunting up in in uh, Arkansas, which has me even more excited. It'd be a hundred percent has me like more excited about like that buck movement and what to be looking mm-hmm. for. And really, he's got me more excited about going back during rifle season. Being a hundred percent honest, because he's like he was telling me he's like 
you know, the rut's a huge factor. Like, I, like you know, I, I, I'm, I do good during bow season, do good during muzzleloader, but it's like this, when gun season comes in, which is during the rut, it's in November, that's when... The gloves are off. I know I have an opportunity to kill a really big buck. Using these train features and, and yep. you know, doing that doing that motion, I'm like, it's got me want to go up during muzzleloader season, which I'm already going to go for that, and then uh, maybe go back up in November. Set so. it up for rifle. Mm. Yes, sir. Chase that rut. Super excited. So it works out good. Head up Arkansas in November. Come back to Alabama. You got December, January, February if you want. Get Iowa. Iowa coming up, dude. You could uh, you could extend it even more and go down to Florida. Hunt even later for that hunt down there. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Come normally by that last week of or that first week of February when season's here, I'm I'm good. Rabbit time. I, yeah, I'm like let's get a small game hunting. Oh yeah. Like that's that's uh, when that's when it gets that's when it gets fun again. Like because like mm-hmm. I think grinding whitetail season by like that first week of February because our season goes February tenth. By that first week of February, I'm like, let's get over that small game. Yep, let's start. Let's start. Let's let's bust out the beagles. Yep, oh. get the beagles out. Ooh, get the bird dogs out. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, bird dogs gonna be broken out anyways this this fall throughout the season. But oh, yeah. Uh, Oh uh, yeah, I'm 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 super excited. But again, I, I told like I told Chuck in the episode, like I fully believe if I have success killing a good deer in Arkansas this year, especially like up in the mountains, it's gonna be from this episode and or from the future episode we're gonna do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it's just it's one thing one thing I really enjoy about hunting more mountainous areas, and we've had a lot of episodes like on more like mountain hunting like this spring and early summer. Yep. But one thing I really like about it after like doing it, like yeah, it sucks. Access can kind of suck. Elevation sucks. Pack an animal out. Like, I thought I was going to die freaking trying to get that freaking bear out, even with Thomas's help. Like, he was going to die. I was going to die. We are all going to die on the side of the mountain. And Thomas is cut, And Thomas man. is, like, in shape. And he's, like, I mean, that that backpack was, like, half his body weight, probably, <laughs> if, if, if not more so. Actually, it might have been well, How more. much does Thomas weigh? Like, right at, like, 185, 190 pounds. Man. Yeah, I mean the backpack easily, easily was half his weight, easily. Dang. Like his backpack, not not kind of my backpack too. Um, not so bad. yeah, it was rough, and I was, I was, I was I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie, I was a wuss, I was a wuss, <laughs> dude. You're like Thomas, we can. Dude, no, I, no, I was, I was gonna do it, but Thomas saw he's like, you're gonna die, so he's like, just give it to me because I had to get, I gave him the smaller backpack, and because uh, the problem was he doesn't have a pack frame. And I do. I've got the Ferrari, but then I get that small little Mr. Ink scapegoat I've had forever. Uh-huh. And that thing, you can't put that much in it, really. It's uh-huh. only 25 liters. And uh, we put as much as we could in it. Like, it was a couple of bags of meat and some fat and stuff. And it was still probably like, it was probably like 45, maybe 50, maybe 50 pounds. Mm. Um, and, dude, it was just, I was smoked. Because it was the third time going up that ridge. Like Ugh. going up elevation, there's like 400 feet of elevation, or 350, 400 feet of elevation change, but it's uh-huh. like really, really steep for like 150 yards, like like three, four points of contact as you're crawling up this freaking, this yeah. ridge, and oh, yeah. yeah, we were, we were both about to die, like we got to the top of the, like the bench, like below where I, sh- like right where I shot the bear, and it rolled down the, that, that really steep hill, yeah, of that mountain, and we get to that bench, and we, he like lays on the ground, he's like, dude. He's like sitting there, like texting. This is the only place he had phone signal, <laughs> and uh, just smoked. And we put the backpack back on. He had to go up over the top of that bench, and then kept going up to the truck. But uh, brutal. Anyways, well, I don't know where I was getting at with that. But yeah, well, I was gonna say, but before we end this, because we're coming up on an hour here, uh, there is one last thing we want to talk about, and it has to do with 
hunting the mountains and, and something that Chuck brought up and and us hunting the mountains because it's it's kind of a new thing for us. Mm. Uh, oh, I didn't even I didn't even answer what I was going. I didn't even say what I was going to say. Keep going. No, wait. What were you going to say? So I didn't even get to one thing. I was, I was talking about like what I like about hunting the mountains is like these terrain features are so much more pronounced. Oh yeah, they're Definitely. easier to see. They're easier to find. And, and like, like funnel it, the deer, an aerial like like again like your all next like topo maps shows it like super easy like you can find mm-hmm. like slow angle shading shows shows this stuff super easy you can see these benches super easy versus when you're in hill country it's kind of like oh, I can kind of see like this looks like there could be something here mm-hmm. but like you can't see it's not as defined in hill country as it is in the mountains and that's what I like about hunting mountains it's like yep topo features are like super easy to see on a map yeah hundred uh, percent you know before. Earlier this summer, before we we went and scouted that mountain area that we're going to hunt this fall, uh, we were talking about getting into the mountain thing. We actually drove through there. We weren't even hunting it. We were going to record with, uh, we were going to record with somebody, <laughs> and uh, um, we were we were driving through there, and we were like, "Man, this will be so fun! It'll be like a learning experience. It's something different than we're than we're used to." And the mountains are just fun too. And uh, uh, that guy, that same guy I was talking to today, is kind of a newer hunter. And I was telling him, I'm like, you're in a good situation right now. Because I was, I'm like, do you have trail cameras? He's like, no. I was like, do you have this? Do you have that? And he's like, no, I don't have any of that stuff. And I'm like, see, you're you're asking me, like, what you should be buying or whatever. I'm like, you're in a good position. Mm. Because you can go in this year, and you are just a blank slate. And you just need to go in and don't take any, pre- you don't have any of the preconceived notions and misnomers that we have built into us because we've been doing this since we were like five years old and we got all the wives tales and all the stuff we were wrong about before. I'm like, dude, you got a clean slate Go in here and like, just let the deer teach you what they're doing and be, and build towards next year and mm. the year after that. And, you know, go out and try and kill a deer this year, but approach this season. Like, how am I going to kill a deer next year in the spot? The year after that. And I told him, I'm like, if I look back at like almost all the bucks I've killed on public land specifically, I kill them in tier, year two and three. I don't usually kill them year one. I do sometimes, but usually it's year two and three for a spot. Um, but anyways, all that to say is kind of a roundabout way of saying throwaway areas is kind of like uh, my my version of that is when I go in to hunt these mountains this fall, like Chuck's talking about, pretty much every hunt's going to be like a throwaway area. Never hunted it before. I'm just going in there and, and seeing what it is. And that's what he was talking about doing on, uh, I guess he was saying days that are like less than ideal. He's just going to go to a new area yeah. and just throw a hunt at it and see what happens. And he ends up finding really good spots that way. Yeah, he does that a lot during bow season, a lot during muzzler season, but come rifle season, which is the rut in Arkansas, mm-hmm. at least where he's at. Um, that's when he's like, he's going to his tried and true spots where like he's got the sign, he's got the history. Like he knows that like, you know, these x amount of spots i know if i sit there you know right conditions i'm gonna have a really nice buck come by and man if y'all seen a social media post but it took me a little while to get the photos yeah but uh social media post is gonna be up before this episode comes out but like you'll see some of the deer he's killed he's killing some really really big deer like really big deer yep uh up there in the mountains and like he says like you know he's looking for you know 130 140 inch deer minimum you know, over three and a half years old. That's a big one. And if it's anything bigger than that, then I mean, it's, a, it's a blessing and a bonus. And, I mean, he's doing it. He's killing some freaking monsters, dude. Mm. But it just shows, also, this is another thing it shows. If you can find those remote areas, and I feel like so many people talk about, like, public land is, like, 
public land is getting so pressured and it is in some areas like there's just so many more people going out there hunting public land and it's getting like tougher and tougher mm-hmm. but there are still areas like what he's doing that are still like these gyms there's just, it's hard it's remote it, it's not as many guys are hunting it or as willing to go in there and hunt it yep um it and, still exists and you can still find those there's places like that in alabama yep that are just like that where it's, it's hard it's remote not a lot of guys hunt it it's you know they don't see it's like it's worth it. they're gonna hunt a place that they can hunt 100 yards from truck super easy mm-hmm. and uh it can still be done and i feel like you can still find some spots so hopefully we can get some stuff like that this fall too it'll be yep. exciting 100 percent. i'm excited for it i'm excited to get chuck back on super Dude, we got some awesome episodes we're lining up and rocking and rolling uh over, over the next uh the next few weeks and months ahead so i think as like i told you i think as of like today i've got if we all we gotta do is set up and record them next two months worth of episodes and they're gonna be freaking sweet <laughs> so super excited guys Good. uh i'll say this it's kind of our, getting to point to wrap up again uh thanks for listening to the podcast guys we appreciate y'all support uh well, what's southern outdoorsman in the field there you go, Puggy, bro. In the field. What, so, what, are you, uh, what are we talking about here? So y'all might have seen that on our uh, Apple feed. If you're an Apple listener or if you're a Patreon, you saw it on Patreon. Uh, we were uh, going to scout the other day, and we were like, hey, let's just bring the field recorder and record in the field and just see what see what it, see what it does. And uh, so we went on a scouting trip, brought our little old field recorder that we used to record all our shows with, and uh, literally recorded while we were scouting, and it was fun, and uh, you're going to get some laughs out of it. If uh, if you're a subscriber on Apple, so Apple changed their thing. Uh, now you're like a follower of a podcast, and if you're a subscriber, that means you're like a paying subscriber. So if you're following the podcast on Apple, uh, you might have seen this pop up, and if you tried to click on it, it might have asked you to subscribe. I actually had a listener reach out about that, and he was like, hey... Is this an Apple thing or is this you guys? Because if it's Apple, I don't want to do it. But if this money goes to y'all, then then I'll subscribe. And I told him, I'm like, yeah, that that money goes directly to us. And he's like, cool. So so in case everybody doesn't know, that's not Apple. Uh, Apple does get a cut of that money, but we get most of it. Um, so that money does help us out. So if you want to subscribe, that's a huge help. Uh, but also that subscription will get you access to bonus content like that. So we did the first one. Like I said, you hear We're going to record another one in the morning. Yeah, we're doing another one tomorrow morning. Uh, and literally, it's just us out in the field scouting. And uh, you get to hear us, you know, encounter a cottonmouth and a hornet's nest and all kinds of it's stuff. It's hilarious. <laughs> God, I'm telling you. People got a good laugh out of it. We got some great feedback on that. <laughs> it, it's worth listening to, guys. Also, I found a way we're going to make it even better. I just got to tell you about it when Uh-oh. we get off here. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, but so, you, so the t- there's two ways to get that. If you're an Apple subscriber, or, or if you're if you listen on Apple, you can subscribe. It's a dollar ninety nine a month or twenty dollars a year, uh, and that will get you access to all of those bonus episodes. It also gets you ad free content. So every single episode will be ad free. You don't have to listen to any of our ads, any of Spotify's ads, nothing. Uh, just straight up episodes. The other way, if you're listening on Podbean or Spotify or one of those other platforms, you can go join our Patreon and you can get those uh, extra bonus episodes. We don't have an ad-free feed on Patreon yet. We've tried a million things and there's just no good way to do it. But uh, you do get those bonus episodes. And it, it and it went live on Patreon before it went live on Apple too. So mm-hmm. Patreon's got a little, little bit of special treatment there. Uh, but anyways, recording another one in the morning. Um, we're going to do those as often as we can. I, I kind of envision it. You know, we're not going to be doing it every single week, but, you know, we're, we're doing it this week. It'll be 
Uh, that'll be two weeks. So uh, we did the first one two weeks ago. We're going to do the next one tomorrow. Um, I envision, you know, hopefully this fall, kill a deer. We're out, you know, skinning a deer, tailgate talk. I think that'd, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Some major crap talking going on, just recounting the story man that'll be fun so hopefully do some of those uh, uh we, and then who knows what else we had we had a couple of listeners one listener specifically said we need to get uh tyler malone on and a couple other guys oh, and, we, and we just need to have like an ultimate like just crap talking just like podcast. just like, ah. ro- like the, like the <laughs> southern outdoors doing unfiltered roast oh man but yeah, it would be awesome. <laughs> so we may try to do that. I don't Get know. Tyre Malone on. Oh, open Malone, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, but yeah, so yeah, super excited, guys. Again, if you want to follow along with all that and, and check out the In the Field series and you want to join Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoors Men. Uh, not man. Again, a lot of y'all still think it's Southern Outdoors man. If you, if you look at it, it's M-E-N, not M-A-N. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like it's very passionate about Very this. passionate. I had it said that many times on the uh, East Meets West podcast. But also, y'all go check out that podcast I did with, again, Bo from East Meets West. I'm sure y'all thoroughly enjoy it. We'll show him some love over there. Uh, also, by the way, Bo actually does a video version of his podcast as well. So you actually can go to YouTube actually watch the podcast so you can actually see us while we're having the conversation which is kind of interesting uh, and that's on the east meets west uh youtube channel but uh check that out and uh, i'm trying to think what else uh, uh we got to do reviews because we, we slacked a little bit on reviews here lately okay i don't i just i don't know where we left off we just, uh you you read one last week and it was just like the the most recent one so you, you like jumped ahead okay um Oh, I see Lil Bucknuts is here. I see him. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know where we're at. I'll, I'll read Lil Bucknuts. Um, he said, he said, nuts dropping. <laughs> Five stars. Just letting you, you boys know I'm still here and learning. The deer guests this year have been straight fire. Looking forward to putting the tactics to use. <laughs> oh, little buck nuts! If uh, if listeners aren't aren't familiar, we have a a feud going on between big buck nuts, little buck nuts, and thicket cricket. So they're all going at it in the uh, in the review section all the time. Um, if you want to uh, have your review read, then go you know go leave us a five star review. You can go tap the five star button on Apple Podcasts, but you can also leave a written review. And if you leave a written review, we will try to read it on the show. Uh, Jacob, you got one? You picking one out? Oh wow! I just read a review, and we're actually going to do a podcast on this on this topic that this guy wants us to cover. Oh, yeah! Come on. So this is from uh, Hank One One B. Some of y'all choose the most interesting usernames. Just going to let y'all know. It says five stars, great show. I've been listening for a couple months now. I'm loving listening to these deer killers talk all. Or I can't talk. You can't read. Son. I can't talk. Can't read. Can't do none of it. Um, Listen, I love listening to these deer killers talk about things uh, that I haven't even thought about. I live in central Florida and hunt a couple small tracts of private land. I'd love to listen to an episode about deer behavior in Florida and hunting approaches for small properties. Mm-hmm. Well, got it coming right up. We are going to do it. A, not, it's not going to be Florida, but it's from a Florida hunter. We're getting old. I could just put this out there. Old Doug White, PK, Paul Meadow Kid. Got to give all three names out there. Uh, he's going to be back on the podcast. We had him on last year. An absolute banger of an episode. Hardcore listener as well. And we're going to talk all things buck behavior. Because one thing that's interesting about him, he lives in Florida, hunts very hard in Florida, but he hunts a bunch of other states too. 
and uh, he's seen some correlations on buck behavior. And then we're going to do a full episode on that. So it's going to be super, super interesting. Yes, but sir. make sure you subscribe for that. It's going to be very, very fun. Yep. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna read this one. And this is just the most recent one. And this will be our marker. So, so we know where we're at next week. Uh, this is from Holler Hunter. Best hunting podcast out there. Five stars. Do yourself a favor and get in the game. Haven't even thought about listening to Meat Eater since I discovered you guys a few years ago. If you don't listen to the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, uh, the guys that do are killing your bucks. Keep it up, guys. Holler, Hunter. <laughs> now, hey, hey. Well, I got pet peeve, though. You, didn't, you kind of read that review and didn't notice something. Uh-oh. About old Holler, Hunter. Uh-oh. Holler, Hunter. No. Um. Oh! He said Southern Outdoors Man. Oh, come on, Holler Hunter. <laughs> so it's men, boys and girls. It's, it's okay. It's I'll men. let it slide. Yeah, it's all good. you like us more than Meat Eater. <laughs> yeah. I'm, hey, no, we, we appreciate that review. Yeah, no, that's very nice. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Jacob, you got anything else over there? It's been a good review session. No, it's been, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of going through some of these reviews, dude. There, there's some awesome ones. But yeah, appreciate y'all's support, guys. And again, hey, like we always say, you know, make sure you, you know, share the podcast with a buddy or friends family members, it doesn't matter, random person on the internet, uh, you know, recommend it wherever it can be recommended because uh, we appreciate the support. And hey, if you're a new listener, you know, definitely you need, even though we're on episode, what, 390 now? Or, oh, gosh. Upper 380s? Something like that. Uh, go back and listen to some of the, the good, some of the, the, the great episodes. I, I, like, I always tell people, like, if you're starting the podcast, like, a lot of stuff we're coming out with now is pretty awesome, but seriously go back to episode like 115 116 yep. and start around there oh yeah and start i mean you can cherry pick 100%. if you want there are some really really good episodes from back in 2019 through mm. 2020 2021 that you guys definitely don't want to miss on like you need to go back and check some of those out yeah. you know super noticeable episodes are you know episode 116 115 141 125 172 i mean there's we a gotta pl- make some playlist yeah one of these days yeah, we've had people ask about that for like specific topics and stuff. Yep. Um, but anyways, this yeah, appreciate y'all's uh, support because uh, it's been it's been huge for us. It's been awesome, kind of seeing everything grow. Uh, and let us know, hey, some of y'all have been absolute like Clint. Give Clint a huge shout out here. Clint was the one that gave us put us in contact with Chuck Young, who just had of course had a podcast this week. If you're like Clint, you thoroughly enjoy the podcast, and you know somebody like just a little local killer. That's maybe it's a buddy of yours, maybe it's somebody you heard of. Had another guy recommend us somebody from Virginia who we're gonna get on, who's a absolute killer, who just knew of this guy because this guy had a uh, auto body shop, okay, and he's mm-hmm. an absolute killer. Yep. If you know anybody like that, that is like, God, I mean, I really wish this, they'd get this guy on the podcast. I'd love to know about how this person's so successful. Mm-hmm. Shoot us an email, and it says info at the Southern Outdoors Yep. Or you can go to the website, contact form. Go to the website, contact form. That's the easiest way because if you go to the – that's the best way to do it because if you go to the website and do the contact form, it gets forwarded to both of us. Yeah, so do that. Please do that. Just southernoutdoorsman.com. Super easy. Or search the Southern Outdoors Man. It's still going to pop up. Thank God. Yep. But contact form. And let us know in in the title or in the topic, subject line, just being – you know, potential new guests of who you would recommend because some of y'all have been recommending some absolute banger guests. I'm talking super high quality, like these guys, and these are people like you would have never known of, like Chuck, if you didn't personally know the guy. So again, Clint, 100%. thank you so much for that. It was unbelievable. 
but if any of y'all have anybody like that, like, man, this would be like the coolest guy to have on the podcast. Like, you know, I just, I've always heard things about him. Maybe I don't personally know, but this is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. You, as long as you give me the name and the area he lives in, probably can find a phone number for him. Yep. Or if you can do an introduction, it doesn't matter. But again, we absolutely appreciate anyone that's been kind of reaching out to us about potential guests because y'all been knocking it out of the park. Killing it. So thank y'all. Killing it. Andrew, what you got? You got anything else? That's all I got, man. That's all I got. Cool. Well, we had a be about 4 a.m. Do a little scouting trip. Do another uh, In the Field series podcast episode tomorrow. And uh, yeah, and then record Monday's episode, which is going to be awesome. So guys, make sure y'all tune in Monday. Got a really exciting episode for y'all on Monday. I know a lot of y'all are going to thoroughly enjoy. And uh, other than that, guys, uh, again, thank y'all for the support. Leave us a review, and we'll catch you back here on the next episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.